You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Glory to God. We're so glad you could join us today. The Lord has a special message that he put on my heart today. We're going to be talking about the beginning of the end of the United States of America. Oh, Brother Bob, are you going to start complaining about politics and all that? No, 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 no. We're going to go through a brief history of the United States. A lot of people say that the United States was not and never has been a Christian nation. We're going to see the hand of God very briefly, because we don't have a lot of time in this broadcast, but we're going to go through this very briefly and let you see how God formed this nation and why he's so disappointed in the recent activities of, the, of what's happened in America. But first and foremost, let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God our Father. We pray, Father, this day that your Holy Spirit would lead us, guide us, open our minds and our hearts to receive what the Holy Spirit is saying. Lord, that if there's someone listening today to this broadcast, anywhere in the world, live or on a recorded broadcast, that does not know you as their Savior and their Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them this day and that they would make the choice to receive you into their hearts to receive the forgiveness of all sins and the gift of everlasting life. Be with this broadcast this day, Lord. May the will of God be accomplished with it. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. There's power already in this broadcast. I I sense the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I pray you do too. Oh, glory to God. Before I begin, though, with my notes, it is very important that we only build on the solid foundation, which is Jesus, who's the Word. So join me in our confession of faith that we do every week. For if any man tries to build on any other foundation but the sure foundation, that building will not stand. Commonly referred to as the Apostles' Creed, I am instructed by the Holy Spirit to do this I, sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I'm so excited to get into the Word that I miss it. But I would say 99% of the time, even when I'm delivering a message in church or at a meeting somewhere, 99% of the time I will start by having everyone join me in repeating the Apostles' Creed. It is that important for the foundation of our faith. Amen. So repeat these words after me. At least loud enough for your own two ears to hear. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, He descended into hell. And the third day he rose again from the dead and ascended up into heaven and sits now at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from where he shall come soon to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Oh, there is power right there. I could just spend the whole hour preaching on the Apostles' Creed. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Now, we're going to look, as I said, at the beginning of the end of the United States of America. It's not a pleasant subject. But in order to, to stand out from those preachers that are always doom and gloom and You know, the fire and brimstone preachers, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's That is true, and it's closer now than it has ever been. But I want you to understand why God is angry with the United States and how a nation enters into a position where the wrath of God is the only thing left for them. Israel did it. 
I mean, God formed Israel because he loved his man. And he chose Israel out of all the nations of the earth, not because they were so perfect or anything like that. He found one man, Abraham, even though he was a heathen at the time, he seen in Abraham's heart that he would serve the Most High God. And God the Father revealed himself to Abraham and told him, If you will follow me, I will bless you. And Abraham did. And the result? Yes, was an Ishmael when he tried to help God out. God doesn't need your help. But at the appointed time, Isaac was born, through whom came the twelve tribes of Israel. And, uh, you know, the rest I'm not going to go into because we'll spend the whole hour talking about that. But Israel, as a nation, rejected God. And God had no choice. They started worshiping other gods, the gods of those that God the Father had told them to annihilate so that wouldn't happen. They decided to make peace treaties with them, to exchange goods and services with them. And then came to the point where they would allow their sons to marry the heathen women and and the heathen women or the, the women to marry the heathen men. And, and soon the nation of Israel had lost their way. And despite warning after warning after warning after warning of the prophets, they rejected the counsel of God and started worshiping other idols. And God said, okay. He took the hedge of protection away. Babylon came in. Syria came in, the Persians, the Medes and the Persians came in, and Israel was dispersed into all the nations of the earth. And wherever they went, wherever the Jews went, they were persecuted. And that's where we're going to start, right there. You see, when a nation makes the decision, the conscious decision to stop obeying the God of the universe, there are consequences to be paid. When a nation decides to mock the Most High God, there is punishment on the way. When a nation prohibits those that still believe in God, God-fearing society, when a nation and governmental leaders forbid them to worship the one true God and basically is forced to go against his will, to go against his teachings, to go against his word, judgment is the result. Some call it God's judgment or wrath, hence, you know, the word, the wrath of God. Folks, the United States of America has entered a stage of its existence where we 
are absolutely 100% worthy of deserving punishment from God. Now, I'm not saying God's wrath is about to be poured out. I believe Scripture is very clear in its indication of what the wrath of God truly is. Hold your place there in Matthew. We're going to come back to that. But turn to Revelation chapter 15, and I'll show you what I mean. This, you know, we're not entering the wrath of God yet. But in Revelation chapter 15, verse 1, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. So we're talking here that the last seven plagues to be poured out upon the world is the wrath of God. Go over to chapter 16 and verse 1. I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels that we just talked about, Go your way and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So the wrath of God is at the end of days for the world. The wrath of God is poured out at the end of the great tribulation. The rapture of the church has already taken place. And the wrath of God is now poured out on those who completely reject anything to do with God. Those are the ones suffering the wrath of God. Now, there's a difference between tribulation and the great tribulation. Amen? There's a difference between them. In Matthew chapter 13, we'll see what Jesus had to say about tribulation, and then we'll move over to Matthew 24 to see the great tribulation. Amen? In Matthew chapter 13, and verse 21. Let me get over there myself. Glory to God. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they, seeing, see not. And hearing, they hear not, nor do they understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand. Seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart has waxed gross, or grown hard. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they've closed. Lest at any time they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and should be converted, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, to hear those things which you hear, but did not hear them. Does that sound like our day today? I say it does. Amen. I say that talks about exactly the day and time that we are living in. Now, Jesus also said in, uh, let's turn, hold your place. Well, go to Matthew chapter uh, 24 
And I want you to hold your place in Matthew 24, verse 21, and turn quickly to John chapter 16. Hold your place, Matthew 24, go to John 16 also. Now, verse 33 in John 16, Jesus, talking to his disciples, says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's that word, tribulation. Jesus, do you think Jesus' disciples are still on the earth right now, today? No. Not the 12 apostles. Those are the ones I'm talking about. His disciples through us are. But the 12 apostles are not here. So obviously they could not be going through the great tribulation. Amen. But Jesus himself said, in the world you will have tribulation. Every believer that's ever existed from the time of the apostles to today, in 2015 at the time of this broadcast, has and will suffer tribulation. Trouble, unmentionable, untold trouble. But Jesus said, have good cheer. I've overcome the world. So it doesn't matter what the devil throws at you, you can have good cheer because Jesus already defeated it. And, well, let's turn to Matthew 24 now. He's given us victory. Amen. In the natural, it may look like you're defeated. But inside, in the spirit you, you've already overcome because greater is he who's in you than he that's in the earth. Amen. Matthew chapter 24. Now we already seen Jesus said tribulation will be in the world. Now let's look at Matthew 24 beginning in verse 21. Then, then, now this is, the then, let's look real quick at what happened before then. That's where Israel is attacked. The abomination of desolation. The, the Muslim leader has stood in the temple declaring himself as God. All the nations of the world are now prepared to attack Israel. Jesus says, then... When all that happens, shall be great tribulation. So at the end of days, this is basically in the middle of the seven years of tribulation. The first three and a half years was bad tribulation. But now we enter the period of great tribulation. For then shall be great tribulation. Such has not been has not been seen since the world began to this time. No, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved alive. But for the elect's sake, that's the survivors in Israel, for their sake, because the church has already been raptured out, for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. For if any man shall say to you, look, here's the Messiah, or over there, don't believe it. 
For there shall arise false messiahs and false prophets, and they'll show many great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. But behold, I've told you this before. Therefore, if they say to you, hey, he's out in the desert, don't go there. Or he's in the secret chambers, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall also be the, summing of, the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcasses are, there shall the eagles be, give, be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, then you come into the, the heavenly sights. The sun shall be darkened, the moon will not give her light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. So let's just stop right there and get back on subject. Jesus distinctly told his disciples, In the world you will suffer tribulation. Now in John 17, he told his disciples, you know, he asked the Father to bless them, and also bless all those who had come to know Jesus as Savior through their testimony. So therefore, we can also see that even though they had tribulation in their life, so also we will have tribulation in our life. And the trouble that you see going on in America right now, you can't escape it. The tribulation in your life, no matter what it is, lack of income, uh, you know, the things you see on the nightly news, any of it that you suffer is nothing compared to the great tribulation. It's so bad that Jesus told the Jews in those days when the great tribulation starts, he says in Matthew 24, verse 16, Let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him which is on the housetop not even go down to try to take anything out of his house. Just flee as fast as you can. Or them that are in the field, don't go back and try and get your clothes from your house. Just run. And it's going to be so bad with them that are pregnant and them that are nursing in those days. And pray this time is not in the wintertime nor on the Sabbath day. Because you need to run and flee for your life. So bad is the tribulation that has begun with the great tribulation. Amen? Let's get back to our discussion about troublesome times. I can't, I can't leave it like that. Just a second. We read already in John 16, 33. These things, Jesus said, I have spoken to you, that in me, in the midst of the tribulation of the world you are, everything that's happening in the world around you right now, if you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, he says, you will have peace. That doesn't mean peace on the external body. You may be suffering tribulation externally. But in your heart will be peace. 
knowing that you're in Christ and he's in God and God's in you. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Therefore, he has overcome the tribulation. Glory to God. All right, now let's get back to our discussion about troublesome times coming on America right now. Amen? That you can see. That you see played out on the nightly news. And you can see what's coming down the road, which some have already begun to prophesy about, including myself. Whether in ministry or economic experts or political experts, whatever their expertise might be, religious experts, biblical scholars, when you hear about trouble coming, you should still have peace. But I want to take you back And let's have a brief history lesson about the United States of America. Can you tell me what happened in the year 1492? Well, for anyone from elementary school on up, at least in the days I was in elementary school, I don't know about so much today, if you say, what happened in 1492? That's when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Right? Every elementary school child learned that phrase when I was in school. I don't know if they're teaching it anymore in public schools today, but it was taught when I was in school. But there's things that we heard and were taught that were not true. Did you know there is a lot of accumulated evidence that Columbus was not a Spaniard by descent. There is almost completely validated proof that he was a Jew fleeing persecution. Remember I talked about what Jesus said, that the Jews will be persecuted and uh, because they rejected God, the Babylonians came in, the Persians came in, the Medes came in, and basically they were dispersed to all their countries. They had to run for their lives because they are persecuted everywhere they went. A lot of people, through their research, have proven that Columbus was what was called a Marano, or a Jew who pretended to be a Catholic in order to avoid religious persecution. During the time of Columbus's voyage, Muranos were a targeted group. Tens of thousands of these Jewish people were tortured during the Spanish Inquisition. So keeping someone's true religious identity secret was a crucial priority and way of life for many people. Columbus in Spain was known as Cristobal Colon, not Columbus, Cristobal Colon. Cologne. And you know, he did not even speak Italian. There's documented evidence that his family had fled Palestine. That's what the land of Israel was called back then. And ended up in Spain. Now just one week 
prior to Columbus's sailing, a ruling had been issued by the king of Spain to expel all the Jews from the kingdom. And we know from our studies in school that Columbus approached the queen of Spain and asked for ships and cargo and money to sail for India by what he believed would be a straight line going across the ocean. And she consented and gave permission for supplies and money to be given to him. Columbus had documented in his journals that he had received inspiration and believed he could make it from the God of his fathers, that he would be successful in crossing the ocean. Now, he thought he was going to end up in India. He had no idea he was going to find a quote-unquote new world. In the crew logs, over half of Columbus's crew, according to the logs, were, where the names were recorded of the crew, they were Jews. When he had the ships loaded and the crew was ready, the day that the portmaster had scheduled for them to depart from the port, Columbus showed up and announced that they were not leaving. They were going to wait one more day, 24 more hours, and then turn around to leave. The portmaster was furious. Everything had been prepared for their departure. This is going to upset, you know, all the, you know, there was another ship waiting to come in and dock. It was, it was going to totally disrupt his operation. But Columbus refused to leave until the next day. Why? Christopher Columbus was originally going to sail on August 2nd, 1492. It's a day that happened to coincide on the Jewish calendar, which in my Jewish Hebrew pronunciations may not be correct, but you'll get the idea. The Jewish holiday of Tisha B'Av, which basically marks the destruction of the first and second temples of Jerusalem. It is a day that Jews revere as being a cursed day. And anyone who entered any type of business transaction would refuse to do so on that day because you're bringing a curse on yourself. And that was the day that the portmaster had scheduled for Columbus to depart. He showed up says, I'm not leaving. He didn't say why. He just refused to go. He proposed his, his original sale, sale date by one day in order to avoid embarking on this holiday, which would have been considered by the Jews to be cursed, an unlucky day to set sail. And coincidentally, or I should say significantly, the day he did set forth, the very next day, was the first day that the Jews living in Spain were given the choice of converting leaving, or being killed. And that's the day they left. So on August 3rd, 1492, Columbus set sail. On the day that the expulsion, well, actually the day the expulsion of the Jews began was on August 2nd. It's the day the order was given. They left on August 3rd. 
August 2nd was the cursed day, the unlucky day, which not only was it the destruction of the temples, first and second temples, but now it also coincided with the day the Jews were expelled from Spain and Portugal. Much has been written of Columbus's uh, purported Jewish origins and of the Jews who accompanied him on his voyage to the Americas. It is certain that only the expedition's interpreter, Louis de Torres, was born a Jew, but converted shortly before the expedition set sail. And that two new Christians, Louis de Santangle and Gabriel Sanchez, also had a hand in financing this expedition. And two Jews, Abraham Zacuto and Joseph Vecino, provided technical expertise that helped Columbus navigate the ocean. So you can see the Jewish roots taking place as God is moving them from Israel through Europe and now bringing them to America. All right, so let's move ahead. The pilgrims, they're not Jews, but they're born-again believers. And now they are being persecuted in Europe about 150 years later. The pilgrims were English separatists. What does that mean? Well, they were fleeing religious persecution. They broke away from the Church of England because they felt the church violated biblical principles of true Christians. Due to persecution and economic distress, they believed they had to break away from the Church of England and form their own congregations, which were more in keeping with the divine requirements. Coming out of the recent Reformation, the pilgrims believed the Church of England had not gone far enough. The church was under strict rule of the state. So their actions were considered treasonous. And these separatists had to flee their homeland. So they left and founded the Plymouth Colony in 1620. Now these unprepared new arrivals to the new land knew very little about how to survive, especially the harsh winters in the new world. And after arriving in December of 1620, more than half of the people who had made the trek died of starvation before spring. By the next winter, an English-speaking Indian named Squanto, who had been captured by the British and taken to England and somehow escaped and made his way back home, taught the immigrants how to build homes fitting to the climate when to plant uh, the basically indigenous crop to the area, which was maize or corn, how to cook it. But there were other parts of the story that are less known. Governor William Bradford wrote in his notes that Squanto was a special instrument sent by God for their good beyond their expectations. With gratitude of God sending Squanto and providing the following year's bounty, the colonists and Squanto and Chief Massad and the Wampanoag uh, Indian people feasted on the crops harvest and wild game, giving thanks to God. 
These early Plymouth Colony settlers were very, very deeply religious people. In order to express their gratitude for survival and the harvest they have received appropriately, they looked to the Bible. They read about the Hebrews' celebrated Feast of Sukkot, also called the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Ingathering. This festival was one of the most joyous of all celebrations. Following the Bible verse, they gave up or they gave all honor to God for providing and for sending Squanto and the Wampanoag people to help them survive. And our American Thanksgiving national holiday came from these early feasts. You see, the pilgrims and Israelites had much in common. They both escaped religious persecution and bondage by going to new lands and were blessed by God and taken care of by God in doing so. The pilgrims began the American tradition of giving thanks to God based on biblical accounts. Giving thanks is supposed to be a part of all prayer. Some of our most remembered passages on the giving of thanks are like, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. In Philippians 4, 6, you read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Amen. Now, economic motives prompted the colonization in Virginia. The Virginia Company of London, organized in 1606, sponsored the Virginia colony of Roanoke, the Roanoke colony. Organizers of the company wanted to expand English trade and obtain a wider market for English manufactured goods. So, naturally, they hoped for financial profit from their investment in shares of company stock. Freedom for religious persecution motivated the pilgrims to leave England and settle first in Holland, where there was more religious freedom, but after a number of years there, they felt that their children were being corrupted by the liberal Dutch lifestyle. Notice that word liberal. And they were losing their English heritage as well as they were losing their children from godly heritage. News of the English colony in Virginia motivated them to leave Holland and settle in the New World. Now, the settlers at Jamestown were members of the Anglican faith, the official church of England. In fact, Jamestown was the second attempt to settle in the area. As I said, the first town was Roanoke, which, when their leader, needing supplies for the colony, went back to England and returned three years later with the supplies, there was no sign of Roanoke. No sign of what happened to the residents. None to this day. It's theorized the Indians killed all of the residents and destroyed the town, raising it to the ground. Not so much as a board was found when other Englishmen returned three years later. Because the English were attempting to establish a financial foothold in the New World. That was their reason for coming there, purely 
economic reasons. The pilgrims were dissenters of the Church of England and established the Puritan or the Congregational Church. They only wanted to establish a place where the Word of God would be the authority in the land. Before they disembarked the Mayflower, they all got together and came up with and signed the Mayflower Compact, which basically established the Bible as the premier law of the land. In Jamestown, inexperience and unwillingness to work, because they thought that, you know, how can I say this? Uh, help me, Lord. Okay. All jobs were divvied up in Jamestown. There were farmers, there were hunters, there were those who were construction workers, there were those who, you know, gathered firewood, and, you know, there was a blacksmith, and all these different jobs were divvied up. All produce would be shared equally. That sounds good, doesn't it? Actually, it's the first social experiment in America. Soon, those that were working hard, going out hunting and skinning game and tracking game and dragging it back, and, and the blacksmith and the construction workers, they were working hard night and day. And then there were others that were roofers and, you know, cleaning up the town and teachers and things like that that didn't have that much involved in work, the hard physical labor work, but yet everybody was equally compensated. Well, soon the hard workers decided, I don't want to work here anymore. I'm going to go over here and I'll sweep floors. And I still get paid the same. I still get my needs met, all the provision. Everybody gets the same amount of food. And laziness crept in. That's the problem when you try and implement a social system into society where there's no benefit for hard work. That's what's happening in the United States right now. People realize, why should I work hard when I could just kick back and let the government take care of me and let other people work hard? Their taxes will support me. Well, that works fine in the beginning, but what happens when more and more people catch on to that idea, soon there's more people sucking from the system than there is people putting into the system, and the economic collapse is imminent. Remember that. Because, I'll just jump there real quick. In the last eight years, more people have gone on welfare, food stamps, and government subsistence than at any time in our history. I don't have the exact numbers, but it's something like three times the amount of people in, that were on government assistance in 2008 Three times as many are now on assistance. It's something like 45, or maybe 450 million. No, that can't be right. 45 million, or 48 million now, eight years later. It's happening. You know, Ross Perot back in the 1990s, when he was 
campaigning for president said, you, you hear that giant sucking sound? Well, that's your jobs going to Mexico. Well, now you hear that giant sucking sound? That's lazy people sucking money out of the government, or I should say out of taxpayers' pockets. All right, back on track. Inexperience, unwillingness to work, basically lack of wilderness survival skills led to bickering and disagreements and the destruction of Jamestown. They felt themselves superior to their Indian neighbors, which created poor Indian relations. Diseases were rampant. And the absence of family a family unit, because they're all there for money, not for family purposes, compounded the problems. Cooperation and hard work, on the other hand, were part of the pilgrim's lifestyle. Nevertheless, they also were plagued with hunger and disease and environmental hazards, bad weather. But through prayer and through showing God's love to their neighbors, the Indians, friendly conditions prevailed. And the Indians, instead of destroying them like they did down in Virginia, helped them to survive. Amen? Okay, now let's fast forward again to the Revolutionary War. It's been rumored that the founding fathers were all deists. Deists are those who believe in God, but also believe that God does not become involved in the affairs of men. Although there are some founding fathers who may have held to that view, Benjamin Franklin and you know Thomas Jefferson and others, Nevertheless, in light of the many and powerful claims that the fathers were deists, it should be noted there is virtually no evidence that a handful of civic leaders in the founding era, like I said, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, uh, John Adams, Thomas Paine, who is British, but if you count him, there's no evidence that they embraced anything that was even close to be an a deist. Moreover, a good argument can be made that even these founders were influenced by Christianity in very significant ways. And it doesn't follow that they desired the strict separation of church and state either, as promoted by the liberal media today. Document after document, written by the founding fathers, discusses their faith in God. And very few documents contradict it. I'm not going to get into a further discussion of this today because that's not the point I want to make. I just want to say that the founding of America was based upon the Bible. And leave it at that. So you see how with Israel, God formed the nation of Israel because he loved his people. But America was founded by people who loved God. Amen? That's significant. After the Revolutionary War, the War of Independence was won, the First Continental Congress elected George Washington to be the first president of the United States. And at the time, Washington, D.C. did not exist and the nation's capital was in New York. It was later moved to Annapolis, Maryland to keep it kind of central to all the states. 
But when George Washington was sworn in, he was sworn in in New York City. And after he was sworn in, he led a procession from Government Hall, which, if you don't know, is currently located, or it is located, directly across the street from the New York Stock Exchange. He led a procession of the members of Congress two blocks down the road to St. Paul's Chapel. And that led them in a worship service and a prayer. And in his prayer, he dedicated America to God. That's significant. He dedicated this nation to God the Father. Now, why do you think God would be angry with the USA? Why do we see so much going wrong with our nation? I mean, think back to the 1950s television programs. and uh, Even though Happy Days was in the 70s, it was focused on life in the 50s. Happy Days, Leave it to Beaver, I Love Lucy. All of these shows, Father Knows Best. Compare them with what we see now on TV. Look at the murder and crime rates back then. Even if you extrapolated them into current numerology, given the population growth and all that, there is no doubt murder and crime rates have increased dramatically in this present age. There's no doubt our society in America has been degrading to the point of anarchy. Anarchy rules in the inner cities right now. You see the efforts of the police being squashed by politicians as they try and control law and order in the cities. Politicians are holding back Legal authority. They're turning the cities over to the thugs. Riots and burnings and killings are commonplace. I live in Baltimore, and I cannot remember the last day I have ever heard the news first thing in the morning when they did not report a murder overnight in the city. At least one. Usually it's two, three, or four. I can't remember the last day there was not a murder. That's how bad it's become. Why do you think God would be ready to pour out his wrath on America? What happened to bring us to this point where we are the focus of God withdrawing his hedge of protection from around us. Remember, God's wrath is reserved for the end of the Great Tribulation. So what I said a second ago is actually God withdrawing his hedge of protection and what we are witnessing now can be referred to as Satan's wrath. Satan's wrath is is described in Revelation 12, verse 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and you that dwell in them. In heaven, not on earth. For we are in Christ. We are on the earth, but we are citizens of heaven. Amen. But anyway, 
Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, the unsaved, the deceived world, having great wrath, because he knows he has but a short time. This is Satan's wrath being unleashed in the earth right now. The rise of ISIS, everything going on in the world, is all part of Satan's wrath. And has happened because man and society in the earth today has said, we don't believe in God. Every person deserves their own choice. How you want to live is up to you. This is especially what you hear in the United States. So God just withdraws his hedge of protection and that allows evil to flow in. And remember, this is the time before what we studied about the Great Tribulation. Now again, I ask, why is God angry with the United States of America? Okay. All right, are you ready to hear why? we got about 20 minutes left. Do you have your pen and pencil ready? You ready to push record on your recorder or whatever? All right, let's look at this. We start in the 1960s. In the 1960s, a Supreme Court decision was made that said you had to take the Ten Commandments out of schools. You could no longer pray in schools. The Supreme Court, I forget the justice right now, but his reasoning in the majority decision was if we have the Ten Commandments on the wall, then the students, the children, might read them. And if they read them, they might understand them. And if they understand them, they might do them. And if they do them, that means the school has actually crossed the line of influencing the child's religion. And that violates the separation of church and state. Are you kidding me? If you have the Ten Commandments there, a child might actually do them. You know, the Ten Commandments outlines morality. And far be it, we want any of our children to have moral values. That's the theory of the Supreme Court. And at the same time, they outlawed prayer in school. You cannot uh, in, enter into a time of prayer in school. And this is still being fought to this day. Some Christians are still rebelling against this glory to God, even to this day. But that's where it started in the United States of America. And as soon as that happened, what's the next thing that happened? When, what's the first sign when a nation has entered into an area where God is displeased? He gives them warnings. And he withdraws his hedge of protection just a little bit. And the first thing, the first sign that a nation has entered into God's area of judgment is a sexual revolution. And that's what happened in the United States after prayer and the Ten Commandments were taken out of schools. The love generation. You know, up until that time, 
it was almost forbidden to have premarital sex. And the reason was because the result might be a pregnancy. So at the same time of this sexual revolution come up, contraception was introduced. So now instead of living a pure life until marriage, now you can do what you want and not worry about having a baby. And a lot of people did. And this made God angry, and he withdrew his hedge of protection again. And the next step was abortions. Abortion was made law in 1973, Roe versus Wade. So now you don't have to maintain sexual purity. You can have sex with whoever you want. We have contraception. We have birth control pills. So you don't have to worry about getting pregnant. But if you do get pregnant, it's okay. You can kill your baby. Just kill it. Don't worry about it. That's what happened next. The next sign that God has withdrawn his hedge of protection when he's displeased and society still hasn't repented their sins. And notice, uh, we don't have time to get into all of the ministry aspects, but there's a great revival beginning to take place in the 1960s and the 1970s. You had the Pentecostals and the Charismatics and all that. That's starting to take root and take hold. So, Christians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are fighting back in the Spirit. But still, Americans refuse to listen. They make a decision by electing governmental leaders who will not, even though they take their oath of office on the Holy Bible, and even though they are supposedly Christians being elected to office, professed believers in order to retain power at the highest levels. They sell their souls to the devil and continue to make ungodly rulings. And the next, after the sexual revol- after removing God from school and the sexual revolution and introduction of contraceptive, and then when you still get pregnant, we make abortion legal so you can kill the result of your sexual immorality. God withdraws his hedge of protection again. And the next sign is the the promotion of homosexuality. Usually, and glory to God, turn to Romans chapter 1. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 1 talks about it. Let's, Let's go through this. Oh, glory to God. In verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up for their vile affections. For even their women changed the natural use into that which is against nature. The next sign that God has lowered his hedge of protection is the promotion of homosexuality, mainly through the lesbians. Women becoming lesbians and promoting that lifestyle is our choice. This is what makes us happy. 
We want we don't need men in our life. We just want to be with other women. Turning the natural use into that which is against nature. And as homosexuality then becomes more rampant and more acceptable, the men, verse 27, the men leaving the natural use of the woman started to burn in their lusts one towards another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the repayment, the recompense of their error, which was meat, which is another word for right. And now, homosexuals take it upon themselves. You know, the purpose of marriage between one man and one woman was procreation. Well, now, because of artificial insemination, women and women can, through artificial insemination, have a baby between themselves. Men with men are now doing the same thing. They still need a woman. The women still need a man. That's where the egg gets fertilized from. But that doesn't, that doesn't matter as long as they get what they want. Another sign. God has lowered a hedge of protection. After that, verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them, you know, just like they wanted to reject God, God rejected them and gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. The next sign God has lowered his hedge of protection is transgenders and cross-dressers. So they decide that God made a mistake when I was conceived and now I need to fix it. Do you see where this is going? Hold your place. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 10. I'll turn over there. Or, as he says it all together, for our sakes, for our sakes no doubt this is written, that he that plows should plow in hope, and he that threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we're sowing to you spiritual things, it's a great thing that we should reap from your carnal pleasures. You know, God is saying you need to take care of the ministers. Well... That started also in the 1960s when uh, the 501c3 was passed. Amen? Where donations to ministries were tax deductible. Now, because ministries are standing against this immorality, they're threatening to take away this tax deduction trying to cut off churches and ministries from any type of support. In Leviticus 18, verse 22, You shall not let any of your seed pass through the fire to Molech, 
Neither shall you profane the name of your God, for I am the Lord. You will not lie, man, with mankind as with womankind, for it is an abomination. God is telling the people of the United States homosexuality is a perversion and is wrong and is cursed. People say, you're being too judgmental, Brother Bob. I am not being judgmental. I'm only declaring to you what God has already judged. God never changes his mind. He says, I changeth not, saith the Lord. Amen. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of their rampant homosexuality. He sent two angels down just to check it out and see if it's as bad as what he's heard. And these sickos wanted to have sex with the angels because they were good looking. How depraved is that? God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And I've said it, you've heard other preachers say it, that if God does not judge America for promoting this homosexual unions, this legalizing marriage between homosexual couples, if God does not judge America for this, he has to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, God does not change. Where do you think that leaves America? Evil in man gets worse and worse. We live in a fallen world. There's no doubt about that. We turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Glory to God. Well, I've got a couple minutes. Ephesians chapter 6. Don't you know in verse 2 that saints shall judge the world? Those that hold to godly morality and godly principles will be the judges of the world. And if the world's to be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge even the smallest matters? Amen? Verse 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Let's, work, let's look at that word effeminate. What does that mean? A lot of people just skip over that. Effeminate. Now, my Greek is not that great. But basically, that word effeminate means soft in the Greek. Sodom is homosexual. Now, The translation of the Greek words here, and I, I got them wrote down. I'm not going to try and pronounce them. Basically, it means the effeminate is the one who receives the homosexual into themselves. And the homosexual is the one who violates the effeminate's body. That's why 
you can see what you call gay people. You can tell when a man, two men are walking together who are in a homosexual relationship. You can tell which one is the effeminate one. Amen? All right. I'm not going down that road. How do you know who's under God's wrath? Turn back over to Romans again. Chapter 1, verse 24. God gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the the creature or the creation more than the creator, who's blessed forever. If we drop on down, because we read these other verses already, to verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, being filled with fornication, being filled with wickedness, being filled with covetousness, being filled with maliciousness, being filled full of envy, being filled with murder, being filled with debates, being filled with deceit, being filled with malignity, being filled by being whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, and inventors of evil things, disobedient to their parents. Does that sound like today's society? I think it does. Without understanding, and the emphasis here is on spiritual things, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable means you can never please them. Did you notice that when the homosexuals won their Supreme Court decision, within a week... The pedophiles were starting to say, we need to have our rights held up too. Because when the homosexuals won their Supreme Court decision, the Supreme Court said, I'm not quoting the whole thing, but the majority opinion said, if they are in a committed relationship, then they should have the rights of marriage. Now the pedophiles, seizing upon that verbiage, say, well, if I'm in a committed relationship with an underage child, that makes me happy. Therefore, I should be allowed to marry as well. And after that, the bestiality people are coming in and saying the same thing. And some people say, well, if I'm in a committed relationship, why two? Where did the Supreme Court get the number two from? A couple. A couple enters into, when two people enter into uh, an emotional relationship. Why two? Where did you get the number two from? The Bible? Oh! So we are going to use the Bible as a standard. Well, let's use the whole Bible as the standard. Why not three? Why not four? Dick and Jane, Tom and Susie, they want to be married one to another. Dick loves Susie, Susie loves Tom, Tom loves Jane, and Jane loves Susie. Why can't the four of them be in marriage together? 
That's where the Supreme Court's headed with this. Why not? Why does it have to be two? If they say because of the Bible, then therefore they validate the Bible and convict themselves of the sin of passing on righteous laws. Is there any reason in your mind where you cannot see that God has lowered the hedge of protection on this nation? Economic problems now. China devaluing their currency is also flooding this nation again with worthless pieces of paper where they borrowed money and China says they want it back. When you flood a nation with trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, worthless pieces of paper, soon it'll cost you $15,000 to buy a loaf of bread. That's where America's headed. Hard times are coming. God is not going to take this Supreme Court decision lying down. But if you want supernatural protection, you need to receive Jesus, not just as your Savior, that's as important as that is. You need to receive him as Lord. Pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, or Jesus, I confess you as my Savior. If you're a sinner, repent of your sins and ask Jesus into your heart. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I may have participated in some of these sins. I repent of them now. I receive you as my Savior. And now, Lord, I ask you to enter my heart, create in me a new life, a new heart, a new man. One that doesn't want to do these things, but one that is righteous in the eyes of the Father. And Lord, I make you my Lord and my King. I confess you as Lord. That's what Romans chapter 10 says. Real quick, I know we're completely out of time. I want to read this for you. If you will confess in your mouth and in your heart, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God's raised from the dead, you shall be saved. I ask you right now, make that confession. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We're all out of time. If you prayed that prayer, email me at brotherbob at ftfm.org. Till next time, this is Pastor Robert Tibber reminding God loves you, we love you. Greater is he that's within you than he that's in this earth. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.